Well, Gene and Vicki, I hear you guys are doing your yearly migration. You're not going to be with us uh, after today. Oh. Okay, we'll have a safe trip and send some sunshine back, okay? If, you'll, if you notice that there was a, um, in, in the, uh, the newsletter, the monthly newsletter, uh, somebody made a, 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 a remark to me this morning that that was an interesting picture of, of Margie and I. It kind of goes back there a little bit, but uh, if you have any mice in your pantry, just put that up in the pantry and you'll scare them away. At least on my part, you'll scare them away. Okay, we come to Revelation chapter 3, uh, shortest uh, letter here to, uh, to the seven churches, Church of Sardis, and one, one author and commentator, scholar that I read calls it the letter to the zombie church. I didn't quite go that far. I just said, I just referred to the Church of the Walking Dead. And as we read this, we hope we're not it, right? Amen? And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. For I know your works that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain, that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come to you as a thief and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. For you have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments. They shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. And he who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. And I will not blot out his name from the book of life. But I will confess his name before my father, and before his angels. And he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And with that, let's pray. Lord, how we look to you, and Lord, realizing that uh, you are our shepherd, you're our God, you're our Savior. Lord, you have wrought, you have done everything on our behalf. And Father, we are truly honored and grateful and thankful for that. And as, Lord, your children, as your people, Lord, we want to live lives that are pleasing to you. We want to bring glory and honor to our Lord and to our Savior. Lord, I pray that your blessed and keeping hand would be upon us. We realize that in these days, Lord, it doesn't take much to fall away. Lord, the temptations, Lord, there, there are many. And we realize, Lord, how, how weak we are in and of ourselves. And how we need, Lord, your, your blessed strength. We need the help of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. 
Lord, we realize without you, nothing will ever really of any substance be accomplished. And yet with you, Lord, there's a wonderful dynamic. It's inexplicable in human terms. But Lord, when our lives are joined as we are connected with you, Lord, the branch connected to the vine, Lord, that awesome and wonderful power from on high is at work within our lives. And not just, Lord, for us, but it's working in us and through us. Lord, reaching out and touching, Lord, so many others. And how, Lord, there's such a great need for that today. For, Lord, you have called us to be your witnesses. Lord, to reflect you, to communicate, Lord, to, Lord, an ungodly culture, what it means to know God. So grant to us, I pray, dear Father, that, that fresh life, that newness of life. Lord, if there be any deadness in us, Lord, may you remove it. And may you implant in a fresh way that which we lack, or that which we need. We pray you bless our children today. Meet with them. So, Lord, we thank you for this time. Bless your word. And as also, Father, we, we come once again, Lord, to the communion table. That if there's something in us that needs to be just confessed, relinquished, given over, Lord, may you do that. May you do that by your blessed spirit. We love you, Lord. We love you. We praise you. We so need you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We now arrive at church number five, which uh, is the church in Sardis. It was not very far from, from Pergamum, the church that we looked at last week, uh, Pergamus. And the four previous churches have all received affirmations from the Lord. But we find here uh, there's nothing really good to say or Jesus finds there about this church there in Sardis. Many of the scholars align this church with the Reformation church. And the Reformation church, uh, this time period that it covers, as we talked about last week, uh, the time frame last week was from 600 A.D. to 1600. This, carried, this, be, this time frame, generally speaking, um, applies to that time frame of uh, 1600 to the mid-1800s. And again, it's, it's the Reformation time frame. But as many people look back and they um, examine the, the impact of the Reformation, it certainly did have impact, um, but, but most people will agree uh, that it di really didn't go far enough and it didn't go deep enough. Uh, it had a big name. You know, so often, uh, uh, you know, we hear, you know, we hear things about the Reformation and there was a turning point uh, when the church, in a sense, broke out of the Dark Ages. Uh, but yet they had a name, but it really, you know, that's all they had. They simply had a name. Uh, there wasn't really any kind of lasting true impact. It was a, as a name they had, they couldn't live up to. 
And the first thing our Lord addresses us here is this area of need, as so often in all the different uh, messages here to these churches. Uh, and the area of need is really something important. It's some, something absolutely vital. It's something that they lacked. Uh, and it's at work, really, uh, of the Holy Spirit. He refers to the seven spirits of God. It's a reference back into Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2. Uh, and, and it refers there to, and it speaks of the, the, the character, not the full work of, but it speaks of the character, the complete character of the Holy Spirit, um, you know, a, as, you know, as it's represented in our Lord Jesus Christ and in Christian ministry uh, as well. Uh, but in verse 1, he says, these things says he, Christ, uh, who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works that you have a name that you are alive but in reality, you're dead. You know, the church, or even the individual, is always known by its deeds, by its actions. Remember, Jesus said, they will know that you belong to me, you know, by the expression of love, you know, taking place, being extended beyond, you know, the, beyond the bounds of this church, beyond the bounds of, you know, our relationship one, with one another, and how the world needs that. The world needs to see, you know, the church, you know, in operation, um, if you've ever read the Phillips um, translation, he refers to the book of Acts as the church in action. And that's really what it is. Uh, and, and in a sense, the book, of church, the, the, rather, the book of Acts has never really ended, has it? It just kind of continues on with God working and representing himself, uh, expressing himself really through the church, through your life, and through my life as well. And initially, this church had built up a, a good reputation, as all the churches did. In the beginning, you know, how God was working, how God was moving, and they had a, no doubt, they had a powerful and a wonderful reputation. But over time, uh, as is the case in so many situations, they had just sort of grown corrupt and grown dead. You know, sometimes uh, I've, I've wondered when I've looked back at maybe the book of Judges, and sometimes and it identifies a certain prophet. <clears throat> and, and some of these individuals, when you look at some of their lives, some of their lives were corrupt. But I would imagine, you know, when they were endowed maybe with the prophetic office in the beginning, it wasn't that way. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like that. And so this corruption is something that takes place. It enters into the life of the church or it enters into the life of a person, you know, from the corrupt culture that is around us. That's why it's so important that God calls you and me. He calls us to a place of separation. Uh, it doesn't mean that we're so separated that we're cloistered or that we become monastic, uh, but we're, we're basically separated from the activities and the things that go on, the practices of our culture. Uh, that's something that we see you know, throughout uh, the biblical record, whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament. We find it so important that our lives are you know, really to be separate from the things, the practices, the things that people uh, you know, are, are readily... Uh, having their lives involved in, or maybe some of the things that we used to do. And we realize that when we come to, to faith. We realize that when we come to faith and we, we, we know him, that there is a break. There's a desire. I don't want to be that person. I want to, you know, and, and, and we do wonderfully. We're, you know, we're, we're made into new creatures and, and new people because of the grace of God at work within our lives and within our situation. But that church died. And it's interesting because I think this happens to many, we see this have, have taken place in many different churches today. Just like it can take, church, take place rather in an individual life, it takes place also, when it takes place, I think, enough in individual lives, it spreads within the life of, of any given church. 
They had a reputation, but they had no fire. They had no power, you know, of the Holy Spirit. And I think when that happens, uh, as, as we see some of the churches today, uh, that they have to have a legitimate reason to exist and to move forward. So what happens is so often is the case that they take up political and social causes. You know, that becomes the thrust of their, you know, of their purpose and of their design because the Spirit of God is, they're, they're not so much concerned about seeing people get saved. They're not so much concerned about evangelistic issues, you know, about reaching out and touching lives. They're not so much concerned about, you know, the helping the church, the, the, the church that's on the front line and maybe some foreign nation. It all becomes very political and it becomes a very social kind of thing that they get behind. And so often you'll find that when they're doing this, they defend the wrong issues. They get behind some crazy, goofy issues, behind some weird group of people. Uh, they, before you know it, they're defending the spotted owl um, and, and, and some ecological issue. We, we see that often today or, or getting behind these churches. These churches get very political. And uh, God hasn't called us to be some political entity. He has called us to be his body, his people. And there's a, there's a danger uh, you know, relative to that. Be, be very careful that uh, the cause of your life isn't just some political cause, uh, that that's the thing that just sort of occupies your heart, your mind, uh, your, your thoughts. Uh, it could indicate that, you know, that you're basically, uh, you're not really in alignment with the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what happens so often with these churches. And of all the things, the issues they often support, they never, they never support the, un, the unborn. Isn't that interesting? They, they, they support the other side. And this is what happens when a church dies. When the light of Christ and the passion of our Lord, you know, basically drains out of the, that particular body. And that's why, it's, that's why you always, uh, you know, uh, impress the, the, that, that point that we need to be born again. We need new life in Christ. And you know, we need to continue to walk with him. We need to continue to trust him. What this church needed was the power of the Holy Spirit. It's what every church needs. It's what we need. We, we need reliance. Remember, Zechariah 4.7 said this. He said, it's not by might. It's not by the might and the, the strength of men. It's not by power. It's not by the power of the intellect. But it's by my spirit, saith the Lord. It's God's spirit has always been the energizing force behind his people. If anything of any kind of lasting quality, eternal value is going to be done. It's going to be produced and empowered by the Holy Spirit. That was the problem with this church. And that's the problem also, too, when our lives are not really energized and empowered. Uh, remember, in the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit was coming upon people, there was a, there was a fire. There was a flame there. And there needs to be that flame burning within our heart, that passion for God. Uh, and if that's not there, um, I think we need, to, we need to look at that. We need to consider that. We need to be honest about that. If it's not there, we, I think we need to begin to pray, Lord, I, I want your power. Lord, I, I, I need that, that, that energizing, motivating uh, power and empowerment that comes from the Holy Spirit. Because if we don't have that, nothing will ever be accomplished. Nothing of any good. People will not be saved. Our lives will not really be able to really touch and impact anyone 
if we're not in tune or in a line with the blessed power of the Holy Spirit needing that within our lives. <clears throat> now, when a church comes to this point, you know what they love to do? They love to build shrines. Shrines to the past because, you know what? Nothing's happening in the present. So it's just a harking back. It's looking back to our, our founder. We have Founders Week. We start only talking about what the Lord did way back when, you know, the past revivals and all those kinds of things. And that's a dangerous kind of thing. Uh, there was a pastor by the name of Van, uh, Vance Havner, and he said this, and, and, and it's something that has re, I've, I've thought about it many different times. He said, first, God begins with a man. And if you look at every movement of God, which basically started out as a movement, then morphed into a denomination, uh, he always started with a man. He always started with, a, with an empowered individual that God just sort of raised up, and then God did a work. The, the man didn't do the work, and that's one thing I always appreciate about uh, Pastor Chuck. He will take absolutely no credit for what God has done uh, with our movement. Uh, he will always point to the Lord. He said, I was just there. I was just there, and God was doing his thing. So God will always start with a man. Uh, and then it becomes a movement. After you start it with a, with, with, with a key individual, God brings people around that key individual, and all of a sudden, you know, the Spirit of God is working, God is moving. And, it's, and, and if you study every denomination, if you go back to its inception, you'll see that very thing unfolding and taking place. He starts with a man, it becomes a movement, but then it goes into machinery phase. Man, movement, machinery. And then it becomes a monument. In other words, it simply becomes a shrine. Because why? God is not moving anymore. And, and what happens, that's why there is so many different denominations and different movements, that uh, when, when the movement, when, when the light of the fire of Christ begins to sort of burn and die down in that movement, God moves on. He moves on to something else, another group. He raises up a new movement, a new work. Uh, this has been his way all the way through history. And, and he's continuing to do that today. If, if, if one group is not going to really walk with him and trust him and live for him, why, he just goes and he will raise up a new, a new wineskin. He'll raise up a new group. He has done it all the way through history. He's not going to allow, you know, our indifference, our compromise, our stodginess, or whatever the case may be, to sort of get in the way and hinder what he wants to do. He just starts brand new with a fresh new group of people that are all excited, want to walk with him, want to trust him, want to do whatever he wants to do. We see this kind of thing taking place even today. You know, the thing is you can keep a dead body on life support, but what it needs is resurrection. That's why you'll maybe often hear people pray, Lord, we want resurrection power. That's what we need. Remember Jesus said in uh, John, John chapter 11, verse 25, uh, I am the resurrection and the life. And that's why it's important that we stay. And remember in John chapter 15, he says, you know, I'm the vine and you're the branches. And, and if we are not connected with him, we lose our power. I was just reading a book by Corey Ten Boom, a little book. Um, Margie kind of grabbed out of the library back there. And um, uh, it, it's kind of interesting. She, she said there's an analogy. Um, uh, um, uh, that she, was, she, she found out when she got to America, she was traveling around the world. And when she got to America and she got on trains to travel, 
she found out that uh, the ticket was no good if it was detached, you know, if it was detached from the receipt. And, and, she, and she said, and that, was, that actually became the name of her book, No, no Good If Detached. And, uh, and she was saying, that's what our lives are like when we're detached from the Holy Spirit. They're no good. They, they really don't have any kind of power. That's why when people get to really detached from the power of the Holy Spirit, and I'm not saying you're not saved, okay? I'm not saying that. And sometimes that's the dangerous part. Because we are saved, and we do know the Lord, we think sometimes we can kind of walk off and do whatever we want to do. You can't. God has designed our lives to be closely connected to him. And when there's some kind of detachment and separation, all of, all of a sudden we find out the power is gone. The power is gone to live for Christ. The power is gone to forgive people. The power is gone to love people. The power is gone to want to have a concern and see other people come to Christ and and, and to be a witness, all those things, all those things, I think sometimes they're there. They were there, but sometimes, you know, as we, we migrate away from him, we, we migrate away, sometimes it's a very slow, imperceptible kind of thing as other things begin to come into our lives, as other things begin to fill up that void that once there was this excitement and, and, and love for God, I was thinking about it uh, <laughs> over Thanksgiving and Black Friday, um, and the news reported that uh, local news reported that uh, at one of the malls there were people lining up at 3:30 in the morning because they wanted you know, lining up to you know just and, and they, they they said th they waited three hours in the cold uh, in order to get. You know, what, are the, what are they call the early, early birth specials or whatever they call something like that. Storbusters, yeah, okay. Yeah, Storbusters. Would to God that people lined up at church like that, huh? I'll tell you what, when that happens, you know revival's taking place. Revival is taking place when they're lined up here in the morning and they're saying, let me in and get a cup of coffee, I'm cold. Now, is his exhortation here also is the path to recovery. In verse 2, and he says very simply, be watchful. Uh, one translation puts it, hey, wake up. And he's saying to this church, hey, it's time for a reality check. It's time to recognize that something is wrong. It's like, you know, when something's wrong with our car, you know, we got the little light that comes up on the dashboard, right? The little phantom light that comes up there and tells us, you know, we're out of oil or, or we need uh, re maintenance required or something. That, that gets. But I think the Holy Spirit, you know, begins to just sort of, because he is so gentle. I, I think he begins to just sort of prompt us and nudge us. Something's wrong. There, there's a lack in my life. And I think, it, I think it's important for us, when it comes to this whole spiritual area of our lives, is that, you know, be honest. We need to be honest. We need to be honest with God. That, that when our lives lack, when they're not what they should be, we, 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 you know, we need, to, we need to go to him. We, we need to look to him. Be careful. It would be crazy to ignore that red light on your dashboard. 
But because the Holy Spirit is so gentle, he's like a dove. That all of us, I think, at different times, we, we ignore that prompting. You know, we ignore him maybe speaking to us. And when, when we ignore that inner voice of the Holy Spirit, then he begins to speak to us through other people. And you can get mad. You get angry. You can avoid people. But we're avoiding God. We're avoiding where he wants to bring course correction. He wants to bring change. Remember this. God always has your interest and my interest at heart. Always. He always does. Always the best interest. I mean, he's the perfect father, perfect parent, right? I mean, any good parent really has the interest of their children at heart. Now, now when we're all kids, we don't know that, do we? We're always smarter than our parents. Until we hit about 25 or 30, then we realize how genius they really were. But our Heavenly Father, He knows. So when He's speaking to us, how we need to respond to that and allow Him. You know, Paul said to the Ephesians, excuse, yeah, to the Ephesians in chapter 5, he said, Awake you who sleep and arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Now he's speaking to the Ephesian church. Speaking to believers. To wake. To rise up from deadness. And he says, strengthen the things which remain. Uh, that, that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect or complete. Would maybe be a better, even a better translation. I have not found your works complete before God. So what really needed to change here in Sardis at this church is their motive. Because you know what? Motive is everything. Why do we do what we do? And I've discovered, you know what? We always do the thing that we love. Isn't it true? Isn't it true? We always do the things that we love. And God knows, when, God knows that when we are disregarding him, he knows that. He sees that. Our motive is absolutely critical and important. And only the Holy Spirit, remember, only the Holy Spirit through the word of God, remember the sharp two-edged sword, he will go in there and he will separate the, the, the intentions and the motives. And, and God goes right to the heart of the issue. And when our motive isn't right, when our intention isn't right, he, he reveals that to us. I don't know what you think of Mother Teresa, but... Um, I read something about her this week, and the one thing that you know about her, she gave her entire life uh, to ministering to the untouchables in India. Gave her entire life. Here's what she said when, 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 when she was interviewed, interviewed by Time Magazine, she said this. <clears throat> she said, we try to pray through our work doing it with Jesus, for Jesus, and to Jesus. I like that. I like that. We try to pray through our, our work by doing it with Jesus, for Jesus, and to Jesus. That helps us to put our whole heart and soul into doing it. The dying, the crippled, the mentally ill, the unwanted, the unloved, they are Jesus in disguise. Folks, that's the right motive. That, that's, that's the right motive, and we need to have that same motive, that we're doing it you know, for the Lord Jesus Christ, that we're doing it unto him. We're doing it for the glory of God. 
That's a pretty high and lofty motive, isn't it? And yet we find it's possible. It's possible to live for God. It's possible to do things. You get up in the morning and say, Lord, I want to I, I wanna, in, in some way make an impact today for you, for your name, for your honor, for your glory. And I believe that when, when we pray like that, that God intervenes. I believe he answers those kinds of prayers. I believe he wonderfully works. So our motive, our motive is absolutely, it's vital, <clears throat> it, it's critical. You know, I think one of the, I find, uh, one of the great, uh, and I think I think, I think I have biblical uh, uh, background on this, but I find one of the dangers in the Christian life is, is forgetting. We, we, we tend to forget um, you know, things that God has done for us. We, we tend to, how many, how many scriptures have you ever memorized? And I, and I, I appreciate Jack Van Impey. You know, he's the walking Bible guy. He can, you know, quote uh, chapters and all that. Um, and, and I've worked hard sometimes at memorizing scripture, but you know what? <laughs> I have forgotten them. I have, for the most part, I, there's a few of them I, I can remember, but for the most part, I've kind of forgotten them. And I think one of the great dangers that you and I have you know, in the Christian life is just simply forgetting. And we need to remember, uh, there was a call in one of the historical books, remember God, remember God. We, we tend to forget God. We tend to forget the work of God. We forget, we, we, we forget his, you know, his purpose, you know, for our lives. We get so caught up, I think, distracted in life, even sometimes doing, you know, religious kind of things. I, I went into my... Uh, a Strong's Concordance, and I tallied up how many times it says remember in the Bible, 260 times. 260 times the Bible encourages us, exhorts us, hey, to remember. And the greatest thing that we can remember is, is God and the things of God, his purpose for our life. Because there's so many other things that I think that are part of our responsibilities, our duties in life. But I'll tell you what, the most important thing is living for Jesus because you know what? That's eternal. There's a lot of things that you and I do. There's a lot of work. There's a lot of maintenance. There's a lot of responsibilities. You know what? The day that we pass from this life, they're behind us. Who was it? I forget his name. Only one life soon will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. Now he says here in verse 3, <clears throat> Remember therefore how you have received and heard, and hold fast and repent. So the Spirit here is speaking to their hearts and to their minds. Uh, you know, how did you receive? How did you receive? How did you first hear? What, what was your initial reaction? How was it when you first came to Christ? I look back at uh, that period. I, you know, honestly, I think I was on a cloud for two years. It was at least two years. I, I was so lifted above the, the person I was before and the life that I had before. It, it was so incredibly transformational. But, you know, as life goes on, 
You know, you, you walk with the Lord 10, 20, 30, 40 years. And all of a sudden, you, you, you begin to just forget. You forget some of the miracles that God has done in your life. You forget his power. Sometimes we forget what he wants to do. Just recently, uh, I was fasting in 1986 up in the um, Adirondacks. And it was the same time that the, the shuttle exploded. And uh, <clears throat> there was a gal who, uh, in our church in Farmington there, and she, uh, she seemed to have a prophetic gift in, uh, you know, giving people scriptures and different things that, you know, God was wanting to encourage them with. And, and I got a phone call up in the Adirondacks, and I was given a couple of scriptures. And... Uh, one of them was in the Psalms, and I, when, whenever the Lord gives me something uh, like that, I try to jot it down, and I, I put the date, put the date, uh, you know, 1986. I forget what month it was, January maybe, something like that. And, um, and I was just looking at that, and it's 31 years later. I was just looking at that verse. And I've looked at it over the years because I've had it marked in my Bible. Um, but this year, it just seemed like it really had significance and relevance more than in the past. And it just, it, it just took me back and reminded me of something that God wanted to do, was going to do, but there was going to be a time period, going to be a lapse. And sometimes when that happens, sometimes the God has maybe spoken a verse of scripture to us. At the moment, it was like, wow, Lord, that was powerful. That was awesome. But as we're waiting, nothing seems to be happening. And so you forget. You forget. And all of a sudden, the Lord, like, it, like he's saying right here, remember, therefore, how you've received and heard. And hold fast to that. Hold fast and, and, and perhaps even let that truth turn you. That's what repent means. And we talked about this in one of the other messages, the importance of when there needs to be a U-turn. I don't like U-turns. Because they tell me I've been going in the wrong direction. <laughs> but sometimes... The, it's, it's important. It's necessary. You know, one of the most important things for, for you and I is one simple little word. And it's the word obey. Obey. What's the old hymn? Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Like I said, I was reading a book by Corey Tenboom, and she quotes F.B. Meyer. F.B. Meyer was a, was a British pastor back around the time of C.H. Spurgeon. And here's what he said about the Holy Spirit. I think this is so important, 
I, I'm going to read it twice because I think it's, it's profound. God does not fill with his Holy Spirit those who believe in the fullness of the Spirit. God does not fill with his Holy Spirit those who believe in the fullness of the Spirit or those who desire him, but those who obey him. See, you can have a desire, you can pray, Lord, I want to be filled. And believe me, you're looking at somebody that makes that prayer all the time, and I have for years. But here's the critical issue. Am I obeying? Are we obeying? That's the key to getting filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? That's the key. It's good to want the Holy Spirit. It's good to desire Him. And to know I need Him. And to even pray to that end. But at the end of the day, am I obeying Him? Am I doing what the Lord is telling me to do? Because you know what? If that's happening, we will get filled. Amen? The Lord will wonderfully respond, and he will fill us. So he says in verse 3, Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come to you uh, as a thief. He will come suddenly, unexpectedly, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. Now, I think here this is clearly a reference uh, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Uh, I'm going to turn there and read it if you want to. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 2 uh, through 4, just a couple verses. But here's what Paul says. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. That day is going to come suddenly, unexpectedly. You never know when a thief is going to come. That day is going to come for many people as a thief in the night. And when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. Now look what he says to you and I. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You know what? For the child of God, for you and me, we're not in darkness. That day, that's why, you know what Jesus always said? Be ready. And the Holy Spirit is always working to get his people, the church, the true church, ready for that event. That's why as we're reading the book of Revelation, the greatest revelation is Jesus Christ. And the next thing that we're waiting for, you and I as the church, is for him to come. And folks, I believe he is coming soon. You can't put a date on that. That's insanity. That's foolishness. But that's why Paul says, you know, that actually in this chapter 5 of Thessalonians, you know, you know, of the, of the seasons, brethren, you know. We're in that season. We're in that season. You need to be ready. The only way that you're ready is that you've got Christ in your life. You've got the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. I was reading that book about Corey Tenboom last night. And she's talking, some woman comes up to her 
in, in the concentration camp in, in Ravensbrück. It says, I'm so, I, just, I saw a woman just beat to death. And she says to Corey, I just witnessed this. I am so fearful for my life. And so Corey begins to share with her the gospel. And that when Jesus Christ comes into your life, he'll take away your fear. And so leads her to Christ. Next day, Corey runs into her friend. And says, you know what, you too. You can experience what your friend experienced, you know, Mrs. So-and-so, yesterday. Said the woman just hardened her face. Just began to talk to her and explain to her what Jesus Christ could do in her life. Led her to Christ as well. A couple weeks later, she's getting... She's getting released from the prisoner war camp. And somebody comes up to her and says, and she had been sort of in a, um, what do you call it, staging or something uh, for a couple of days before she was about to leave. And she's just about to leave. And so one of the, one of the gals come up from the camp and said, remember, remember Mrs. So-and-so and Mrs. So-and-so, these two women that she led to Christ? She said, they died yesterday. And as Corey was leaving the camp, she was so thankful. She said, Lord, if my being in that terrible place, that horrible place, was just to see those two women come to Christ and to know now that they're with you, well then, Lord, it was worth it. I, I think we need to also be able to say that about our situations too, don't we? You know, sometimes we feel... You know, we're in a difficult place. Lord, what are you doing? Why am I here? Why is this trial going on? That's why it's so important. You know what? We need to look to him. And as it relates to the church of Sardis and, and all believers, we need to obey the Holy Spirit, gang. That's what we need to do. We need to obey that still small voice, that gentle prompting of the Spirit of God. Another thing Corey was saying that the Lord was prompting her. And she said to the Lord, Lord, I'll go anywhere you want me to go. But I don't want to go back to that concentration camp. And that's exactly where God took her back. God took her back because there were people, there were refugees living in the concentration camp. But all the houses were, you know, they, they painted them. And see, that's the last place I wanted to go. She said, that's where the Lord told me to go. And as God took her back there, God used her in an incredible, in an awesome way. So far, every church has had <clears throat> a faithful remnant. And he says in verse 4, you have a, f a few names uh, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments. Uh, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. I hope you're not hung up on colors. I hope you're not looking for a, maybe a tangerine, uh, uh, eternal 
garment. Uh, you'll have to settle for white, but uh, um, uh, it, no doubt about it, it'll be beautiful. But I think what he's saying here to this church is, you know, don't give up and don't give in. Don't defile your garments. Because this world is a filthy place. And as we were talking about the, uh, just uh, a week or two ago, it doesn't take much, does it, to get defiled? There's such accessibility to that today. I've oftentimes wondered how many Christian men have been defeated in their Christian walk because they're looking at the wrong thing. You know, one of the things I was thinking about of late, forgiveness is such a wonderful thing. To be forgiven for a sin, for some area that we have fallen short. But you know what's even better than that? I know that sounds preposterous. You know what's better than that? To be cleansed. Because I can keep coming to the Lord. Lord, I'm, I'm sorry. I did it again. I did it again. I did it again. Forgive me. Forgive me. Forgive me. But to get cleansed. To get washed. To have that, that issue in our lives taken care of, removed. And so he writes to the faithful souls. A word of encouragement. I call it a blessed assurance. Reminds me of the old hymn where it says by Fanny Crosby, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. That's assurance, folks. You need that. You may be, you may be maxed out on your insurance, but you need blessed assurance to be born of his spirit, to be washed in the blood. If that hasn't happened for you, settle that issue today. You know, the Bible always says today's the day of salvation, right? Now is the appointed time. Today is the day of salvation. Man, it's a free gift. Why somebody doesn't, why? You know, and, and I think we all understand this because we were there at one point. Why we push back against salvation is insanity. When you think about the gift of salvation, can you put a dollar amount on it? You can't. Because one time, one time I'm thinking, well, it, it's like a trillion dollars. That's chump change. I mean, it's a lot of money, but that's chump change in comparison to the value of new life in Christ. And I'll tell you what, I know we appreciate it, but we're, we, uh, compared to the way we're going to appreciate it in eternity, because you and I that know Jesus are going to be walking on streets of gold. Pearly gates. The most awesome 
experience that anyone could ever experience. And when we look at it from that vantage point, I think we're just going to praise God forever. Oh, Lord, unbelievable. Here we are in heaven. Incredible. I don't think we'll have that depth of appreciation until we get there. I really don't. Because this world seems like it's so consuming to people. And that's what I think it is. I think it, I'm afraid to let go of something, to take hold of something invisible and spiritual, something eternal, but I can't quite feel it. I can't, matter of fact, I can't even see it. And the only way I think so often that we even come to Christ is we realize, I've got need in my life. Isn't that what maybe got you saved? Your life was a mess? You, you, know, you, you know that the, you know, there was insufficiency you know, in your life? And somebody told you about Jesus and what he can do for you? It's like, okay, okay. Like I said, if you're real... Didn't sound like I had too much faith in it, did it? If you're real, God, come into my life. And he was real, and he did. Isn't God so awesome? He meets you where you are. He meets you where you are. It's like the thief on the cross. Remember me when you come into your paradise, in, 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 you know, into, uh, into paradise, right? Wasn't that it? Remember me when you come into your kingdom. That was faith. That was a faith statement. You, you might never know it. But there was that little flicker of faith in there. The Lord said, today, today, you will be with me in paradise. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. I will not blot out his name from the book of life. This verse has given pause, great concern to many people. And I think it poses for us, I think, the greatest question and issue of all of life. And that is simply this. Is your name written in the book of life? Uh, John will later call it the Lamb's book of life. I've never seen that book. I've never seen my name written in there, but you know something? I know it's written in there. Do you believe that for yourself? Because you know that you know that you know the Lord. And if you know, if you know him, that name, and that's the most important thing. Your, may, your name may be on the, on the guest registry, <coughs> excuse me, at the White House. That and $1.50 will get you a cup of coffee. Your name may be written in who's who. But if your name is not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, things are going to go very bad for you. Maybe okay now. But if your name is not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and all you have to do, all you have to do, is give your heart to Jesus.
and say, Lord, I want you to come into my life. Lord, I want the new life that you've promised. And you won't have to worry about this particular concern here. About your name being blotted out. John chapter 20, verse 15, John will say this. Anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So to have your name in that book. to be a new person in Christ, to belong to God. That is the quintessential question in all of life. No other question compares to that. Is somebody's name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? The original uh, manuscripts actually put it in a double negative so it could be said like this. I will never by any means blot out his name. So it's an encouragement. It's a promise. Because I've seen people read that. and Even people that know the Lord and read that, they're worried about getting their name blotted out. But in the original language, it's a double negative. I will never by any means blot out his name. I'll tell you what, folks, that's a promise that you can bet your life on. I'm going to have the worship team come up. If the ushers will distribute the elements of communion. As we worship... If there's a question mark over your eternal well-being, you can settle that today. It's not by writing your name and getting your name in the directory of Calvary Chapel Webster. Okay? That's not it. It's not, it's not about giving a certain amount of money some people are so hung up about that. But if your eternal condition is a question mark, you can settle that today, that as we pray, and agree with me in prayer, as we have an opportunity to pray in a few minutes, to receive Christ into your life. Because some people have gone to church their whole lives, but they, they, they basically are, are attending the church of the walking dead. The only place where there is life is life in Christ. Let's worship.
We're so grateful for this gift of salvation. <clears throat> Lord, it costs you so very much to bring us into relationship with you. And Lord, we're thankful for the work of the Holy Spirit to, to woo us. Lord, to bring us, Lord, unto the cross because we would not come there normally. We cannot realize, Lord, our true condition. Lord, without the work of your blessed Holy Spirit. So, Lord, we look to you today, Lord, with grateful hearts. And, Father, I want to pray for anyone who's considering, Lord, to make that decision, to commit their life to you. Help them to do that. Help them to realize it is the smartest, most important decision of one's whole life. Lord, the one decision that impacts eternity. So Lord, we come to you and we're grateful. We're honored and thankful. Let's partake together. Lord, we thank you <clears throat> thank you Lord for the forgiveness that comes to us because of the cross what a privilege we have to confess our sins to get a new beginning and Lord we thank you for the the blessed cleansing Thank you, Lord, that you give us power, Lord, over our weaknesses, over the things, Lord, that would have once destroyed our lives. We're truly grateful for what you've done. So as, Lord, we receive this, this cup, it's a cup of salvation, a cup of cleansing, 
a cup that reminds us of the deliverance that we have in Christ. Lord, over any sin, all sin, we thank you for that. And Lord, may you make that real in us. Lord, may your power, your power over the flesh, over the things of the world, and even over the devil himself. Lord, you've, you've granted, you've given that. Lord, we take up, like David said, we take up the cup of salvation. And we say thank you. Thank you so very much. Let us drink together. <clears throat> Shall we rise? <clears throat>